You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Tell you who is good. How about them Braves? <laughs> it's been so fun to watch. Um, <laughs> you know, growing up, you know, I was about as far away from Atlanta. I, you could, Atlanta could have been on Mars and it wouldn't have been any closer to where I grew up. And, but I always had TBS. And so I watched the Braves for years on TBS. And now it's just so fun to be here on this uh, March sort of the World Series and um, live in the area. So I want to say again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you this morning. I want to remind you, this is our generosity season. We're wrapping up the month. This is when we kind of ask people to think about their next year and what they can commit to give financially. And this allows the leadership of the church to wisely plan out our mission and ministry for 2022. There are three ways you can make your commitment. You can do it online at roswellpress.org forward slash give. You can fill out a commitment card. They're outside, drop it in the offering basket, or we're going to mail you a commitment card. You can just simply mail that back, and uh, we'll take it any way you can give it. But uh, we, we're celebrating a great 182 years of ministry here on Heritage Sunday. And we've been thinking about what does it mean to be blessed and then bless others? We're called to be blessed and then to bless people in this church, this congregation. We're called to bless people in our community, and then finally to to bless people in our world. And I did a little research for today's scripture passage. And I found out what the first, the first sermon ever given at Roswell Presbyterian Church was on today's passage. And I have no idea why Dr. Pratt chose this text, but that's what we're gonna preach on. Colossians 1, verses 27 and 28. It has to do with what does it mean to remember well? Open your hearts and minds for God's word. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, Lord People have been worshiping on this ground for 182 years, and we take our place in that great history. As we remember, Lord, teach us what it means to remember well, or that we might remember and then build on this great legacy. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does it mean to remember well? A former president of the United States who was famous for putting his name on buildings was once escorting the French president through Mount Vernon, the home of George Washington. The CEO of the estate mentioned that to the U.S. president that George Washington was one of the major real estate speculators of his era. The president looked around at Mount Vernon and the estate, and then he said, if Washington was so smart, Why didn't he put his name on it? The president then goes on to say something very revealing. He says, you've got to put your name on stuff or no one remembers you. We all have a drive to be remembered. It's kind of funny. The CEO of Mount Vernon Estate said, well, 
Mr. President, President Washington did succeed at least in getting the Capitol named after him. We all have this drive to be remembered. We want our kids to remember us. We want our friends to remember us. We want our community to remember us. We want our church to remember us. Most of all, we want God to remember us. We all have a drive to be remembered. In his groundbreaking and insightful book, The Denial of Death, Ernest Becker says, we all have a drive to be remembered beyond the grave. He says, we have this inherent desire to escape death. And we want to be remembered. That's one of the reasons we want to be remembered. Our, our wealthy benefactors put their names on buildings so they can be remembered after they die. We have gravestones with names on them, so it reminds us who's under the dirt. We create endowments, build businesses, have families to satisfy the drive to be remembered. We want our memory to live on. On a day like today, Heritage Sunday, when we think about our 182-year history, I think it's appropriate to ask, what does it mean to be remembered What does it mean to remember well? We remember RPCs helping found some of the foundational organizations that help folks in our community. Home Stretch, the Children's Development Academy, North Fulton Community Charities, I could go on. We remember Dr. Lane Alderman dressing up as various biblical characters for Christmas Eve services. We remember Cy Mallard's boisterous and legendary laugh. We remember important baptisms, beautiful music, the friends we've made over the years. There are a lot of good memories here at RPC, but there's a temptation to remember only the good parts of our past. Do we only want to remember just good memories? There's a subgenre of biographies that idealize the subject of the biography. It's called a hagiography. And a hagiography often just tells the idealized version of a person's life, often a saint. The author would tell the stories of the saint working magnificent miracles, doing these incredible stunts. Hagiographies are idealistic, and often they're, they're too unrealistic. They don't ring true. We say, no one actually lives like this. Is that what it means to remember well, just to write hagiographies? One of the things that fascinates me, and it's always fascinated me about the Bible, is how it does not idealize the people in it. Some of the most famous, some of the heroes are the most fallen and fallible creatures. They're just like us. Adam and Eve, the first humans, disobey God. Then they live in shame and blame each other. (laughs) Their kids, one of their sons kills his brother. Abraham, Doubts God's promise that he will have children, and when he finally does have a son, he almost sacrifices him. Jacob's sons, well, they sell their brother Joseph off into slavery and then tell dad he's dead. The greatest king in the Old Testament, King David, takes a woman that's not his wife and then has her husband murdered. I mean, folks, this isn't like they like went over the speed limit. I mean, this is like serious stuff. The New Testament doesn't get much better. One of Jesus' closest friends betrays him and leads to his execution. Peter, on the the most vulnerable night of Jesus' life, denies knowing him, not just once, not just twice, but three times. 
The Apostle Paul, who's responsible for writing most of our New Testament, in his early years, he persecuted the church and actually stood over and gave approval for the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And these are just the major characters. Don't even make me get into the minor characters. The Bible is not afraid to tell the full truth about people, warts and all. The the Bible does not idealize people's lives. It tells stories of real people who often struggle and fail to live up to the high calling to which they are called. Our passage today, Paul writes, it is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's an interesting phrase, mature in Christ. It seems to mean that there is growth to the Christian life, that we move from immaturity to maturity. The Bible wants to remind us and help us remember our failures so that we can grow up. It gives us and invites us to look in the mirror and see the full picture, the good, the bad, and the ugly. To look at ourselves and our history that we're a part of. So what does this mean to remember well at Roswell Presbyterian Church. As many of you know, I'm on the Mayor's Council for Racial Equity and Justice. And this has involved listening and remembering to some things I would honestly rather forget. The land we're on was taken from the Cherokee Indians. The Cherokee took it from the creek. Much of the early work that was done here in Roswell was done by enslaved people. Even here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, slavery was a reality. In our official history, you can go read about it, the history of Roswell Presbyterian Church. You see that the first pastor, Dr. Nathaniel Pratt, says even though he opposed slavery, he had 10 enslaved peoples. He educated them, it makes a point, and eventually freed them, but he still had them for a while. How do we recount and tell a history that includes moral and spiritual failure? I think first we have to Remember it, and we repent from it, and then we try to heal the wounds that we can, wounds that are left with us. This means to pray and reflect. How can we ask for forgiveness, but then move forward with our history? When we remember, I think it's important that we remember the golden rule as well. Remember others in the way we would like to be remembered. It means being gracious and charitable in our remembering. For who knows what our descendants will say about us? I mean, can you imagine what they're going to say about us in 200 years? They might look at our use of energy and say, look how you destroyed the environment. Or they might see what I eat and say, why would you put that in your body, Myers? They might look at our addiction to social networking and be like, oh man, what was your commitment to 140 characters? That doesn't make any sense. We have no idea how history will remember us. So we would be wise to remember our history with grace and charity. In in seminary, I took a course on the life and theology of the reformer John Calvin. And there's an infamous story about Calvin and this man named Servetus. Servetus was brought before the town council there in Geneva. In Geneva, they took their theology seriously. Servetus was charged with heresy about some of his teachings about the Trinity. And historians tell us that Calvin got up and spoke for the prosecution against Servetus. He was found guilty in his punishment. He was burned at the stake. 
In my class at the end of the semester, I had to write a paper. And so I kind of explored a little bit about this trial and Calvin's role in it. And I took quite a judgmental stance on Calvin's position. And I always remember what my professor wrote on my paper. She said this, we must remember people with charity and be careful in judging them by our contemporary standards. For one day, people will remember us. <laughs> and I've always wrestled with that question. What does it mean to remember well? So I believe we are called to remember. See, many people in our world, they've given into kind of a cultural insomnia or cultural amnesia that we would rather just forget. One of my favorite books is 100 Years of Solitude by the Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez. A New York Times reviewer in its review said this, this is the first piece of literature since the book of Genesis that should be required reading for the entire human race. It tells the story of Jose Arcadio Buendia and his family and their history in this town of Macondo. At the beginning of the book, the townspeople become afflicted with insomnia. Jose believes this is a good thing. He says, now we can get more out of life. But there's an old Indian woman. And she says, no, this insomnia will lead to a loss of memory. And that's exactly what happens. One of the characters in the book begins to lose his memory. And as he does so, he takes an ink brush and marks everything in town with a name. Table, chair, clock, door, cow. And Marquez writes, the sign that he hung on the neck of the cow was an exemplary proof of the way in which the inhabitants of Macondo were prepared to fight against loss of memory. This is the cow. She must be milked every morning so that she will produce milk and the milk must be boiled in order to be mixed with coffee to make coffee and milk. Thus they went on living in a reality that was slipping away, momentarily captured by words but which would escape irremediably when they forgot the values of the written letters. At the beginning of the road into the swamp, they put up a sign that said, Macondo, and another large one on the main street that said, God exists. We are slipping away into a life where we are forgetting to remember our history. Even if we forget, we know God exists. God remembers See, if we fail to remember where we've come from, how will we know who we are? As a church, it's important that we have a history room that you can go to to learn about our history. As a family, it's important for you to sit around the dining room table and tell stories about grandma and grandpa. As a country, it's important to remember our past so we can better understand our present. We need to remember in order to know who we are. But does remembering mean we can never forget? For those of us that are old enough to remember 9-11, there was a slogan that was popular after it. It said, never forget. When something so tragic and traumatic happens, can we ever forget? At Yale Divinity School, there's a theologian named Miroslav Volf. He wrote a book called The End of Memory. Volf grew up in communist Yugoslavia where he was conscripted into the military. There his supervisors were worried he was trying to subvert the military. 
And so they put him through intense and traumatic interrogations for many months. He bears, until to this day, great psychological damage. This experience, along with the ethnic divisions there in Yugoslavia between Serbs and Croats, Wolf is Croatian, led Wolf to study the theology of memory, forgiveness, grace, and reconciliation. And in this book, he asks this question. As people committed to forgiveness, committed to loving the wrongdoer, committed to overcoming evil with good, how do you remember abuse and abuser rightly? And he answers this question, the end of his book, in the end of memory. He writes that in the, the coming new creation, in heaven, we will not remember the wrongs done in the world. Because if we could, it would mean evil would have eternal power. I want to quote directly from it, where he gives a great summary of his argument. He writes, to be fully overcome, evil doing must be consigned to its proper place, nothingness. Is the non-remembrance of wrong suffered that I propose a flight from the unbearable memory into the felicity of oblivion? No flight is involved. According to my conception, he writes, each wrong suffered will be exposed in its full horror, its perpetrators condemned and the repentant transformed and its victims honored and healed. Then after evil has been both condemned and overcome, we will be able to release the memories of wrong suffered, able to let them slip out of our mind? Will we let go of them so as to be able to rejoice with complete and permanent joy in God and in one another? No, that is not quite the right way to think about the not coming to mind of memories of wrong suffered. We will not forget so as to be able to rejoice. Rather, we will rejoice and therefore let those memories slip out of our minds. The reason for our non-remembrance of wrongs will be the same as its cause. Our minds will be wrapped in the goodness of God and in the goodness of God's new world. And the memories of wrongs will wither away like plants without water. Wolf is saying he's giving us a vision of the triumph of forgiveness and reconciliation. We are called to remember all the good things of life, our triumphs and our successes. These are good. But what do we do with the evil that we have done and that has been done to us? What do we do that's incurred in the world? He says we have to remember it in order to name it and treat it rightly and treat it justly. But eventually the offenders and abusers will repent of their wrongdoing. He says forgiveness and reconciliation will occur as God's goodness and the beauty of the new creation, heaven, cause us to rejoice and let go of the memories of evil that plague us. He said in this world, we look forward to and we work for the forgiveness and reconciliation of all things in God that was started in Jesus Christ and that will come at the consummation of all things. This is where every tear is wiped away, every sickness healed. And God frees us for forgiveness and reconciliation. And I think this is what it means to remember well. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I pray that we might have the courage to remember well. Lord, that we might give the things that need to be given into your hands, that we might find your grace, your love, transforming them. And in that transformation, we might be transformed ourselves. We thank you for this great history. We're a part of this great church, and we stand on the many shoulders that have gone before us. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.
You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.